There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Dan Luna, former Navy SEAL and founder of 3LX Consulting. Dan Luna, welcome to Next Steps Forward. It's great to be here. Thanks, Chris. And I apologize. I think I should have warned you about the intro music there. I think it startled you a little bit, so I didn't mean to catch you off guard. No, no, I was dancing to it. It was great. Thank you. (laughs) So as I mentioned, Dan Luna is a former U.S. Navy SEAL with more than 20 years of experience in the SEAL teams at the unit, operational, and command levels. Dan was a member of SEAL Team 1, where he served 10 years, completing five deployments, including two tours in Iraq, two tours in Afghanistan. In 2010, he became a member of the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, also known as SEAL Team 6. His decorations include two Bronze Stars with Valor, the Purple Heart, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, the Joint Commendation Medal, and the Navy Commendation Medal with Valor times four. And for those of you who may have seen the picture advertising the show, you saw all the hardware in his chest. And so uh, it takes a big guy to stand up with all that stuff. After Dan's time with the SEALs, he became an instructor at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, where he developed leadership programs and trained Navy and Marine Corps officers. He earned a master's degree in organizational leadership from Georgetown University, is the founder of 3LX, a leadership consultancy and executive coaching firm, and he's currently working on his doctoral dissertation because he's got nothing else to do. So Dan, you know, with all that background, with all that you're doing now, tell us what the Hardy Boys Mysteries had to do with you ending up as a Navy SEAL in Iraq and Afghanistan and all the other hot spots around the world. <laughs> so funny. Such a great question. Uh, man, I love the Hardy Boys. Um, I'm assuming... It, well, I'm not going to assume. So for, for folks that don't know about the Hardy Boys, it was this, uh, these two young kids, they were brothers, and their dad was a detective. And so they would always go out and, uh, and get into trouble and, and do detective type stuff. And I loved it because it was two brothers. Uh, they were always getting into fights and like doing cool stuff. And, and so I grew up as an only child. And so I always wanted a brother that wasn't happening. So for me, just having that, those brotherly bonds was, was something that I just grew up with and I'd always uh, looked for when I was a kid. And so as I was looking to like, Hey, what do I want to do with my life? And as I started to look towards the SEAL teams, that idea of brotherhood and fraternity and camaraderie, those really like those ideas really appealed to me. And it was just like, Oh, here's how I can get uh, that family that I didn't have growing up. Just, it'll just look different, but still go do cool stuff. So I think it's true of anyone who aspires to become a Navy SEAL, let alone anyone who's completed that extraordinary trial by fire. They want to test their absolute limits. Mm-hmm. Being inspired by the Hardy boys is one thing, but what drove you to test your limits? Yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't name it then. I think part of that, that family component growing up was, uh, so I was raised single mom, only child. Um, later on, I had a stepdad come in and I, I lived with my grandparents for a little bit. So I looked to, to my grandfather for a lot, um, but really that male role model. And then asking as I, you know, going through adolescence and, and just getting older, really asking those questions that I think, uh, I think a lot of young men ask of like, when am I a man? What is it to be a man? You know, how does, how does manhood show up? You know, at what point are you certified where you have your man card, if you will, you know, the whole idea of like, grow up and be a man. So really just asking those questions as a teenager, as a young man, and really to go into that discovery in the combination of that and, of course, the Hardy Boy books, um, you know, brotherhood and family. So really just just these, uh, these different, like, needs and wants and desires coming together and just looking at different things out there. 
And it led me to the SEAL teams. You made me laugh the other day when you made the comparison between leading and cooking, but you had a very serious point. You said that just because we know how to cook, it doesn't mean we're Gordon Ramsay. My wife will certainly tell you that. Finish that analogy and what people who aspire to be leaders or better leaders should take from it. Yeah, so sometimes, so all my degrees are in leadership. So my bachelor's, my master's, I have a coaching certificate. I'm in a doctorate of leadership. Um, I've led teams. I was at the Naval Academy. So a, a lot of leadership, academics, and experience. And what I've seen is um, academia typically puts it in two categories as far as teaching it. So if you're going to teach leadership, there's experiential leadership. So that's, hey, we're going to go do this event and you're going to learn team building or didactic. And that's like, hey, through a PowerPoint in a classroom, we're going to talk about framework or these models or research or whatever. And then when you leave, um, maybe you can apply it in your own life. And so what I've learned is working with clients is using uh, figurative language to connect that leadership isn't this whimsical thing. It is something that's tangible that you can put your hands on and you can train it and develop it within yourself and your teams. It's just going like, what does that look like? And then how does that best support it? So kind of my niche within the leadership realm is I always start with the individual and then developing that individual before we even talk about the team, the organization, the culture. It's just like, hey, it's that individual. And so with that, some sometimes I'll hear people and I'll challenge people like, hey, Chris, what is your leader development? What's your leadership workout program look like? And you'd be like, uh, what? Be like, well, how are you getting better every day as a leader? And you maybe be like, uh, and you'd have to think about it. And then you'd maybe pull out something. Hey, instead of doing that, like, let's know exactly what it is. So either working out, hey, I know when I go to the gym, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Hey, I'm trying to lean. I'm trying to cut weight. I'm concerned about just overall health and wellness. I'm not, you know, trying to power lift or get big like I used to when I was younger. Like, here are my goals. And what I do every day moves me forward to those goals. So now for leaders, it's the same thing. And people are like, hey, Dan, I lead every day. Oh, that's great. And, and I like to put it in the context of cooking, right? So like, hey, just because you cook every day, like I go downstairs, I just made a protein shake. Like that required very little, you know, and I'm getting ready to make a sandwich after this and like heat up a meal uh, in the microwave. Like that's a form of cooking and preparing. It is not Gordon Ramsay. So how do you take yourself to that next level? So just recognizing, hey, just because you do some form of leadership every day, that doesn't mean you're an expert or you're performing at your highest capability. So to perform at that highest capability, to start moving towards that expert level, whatever that looks like for you, for the individual, there's a program and there's a routine that you can get on to help move you in that direction. So when I work with my clients, that's really what I'm doing. It's just teasing out those programs. You've shared the concept of pushing versus pulling leadership and coaching with me before. Mm-hmm. Could you share that difference with our lead- listeners, please? Yeah, so really I like talking in macro terms just to like the leadership terrain is so vast. So when we use mental models, it just helps us navigate uh, really complex information a lot faster. So one of those models is push and pull. So if you're watching this screen, you'll see I have all these books behind me. All of those books are push. It's all content. It's somebody else's knowledge that they're then sharing with me. So they're pushing information, something that they know to me. Pulling is now... Um, me asking a question. So if I were to pull something out of you, so I wrote a leadership guided journal. In the journal that I wrote, it's mostly pooling. So it's like, hey, you know, there's, I read, you know, great leaders read so many books a day. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like you're reading all these books. You know, I'll work with these senior executives. They're like, I read all these books. That's awesome. 
What are you doing with that information? How is that knowledge moving to doing? How is it shifting behaviors within your leadership practice? And they're like, uh, I'm not sure. That's great. So that's a pool. So a pool is like, what can you now do with that information? What is it now? How does it now show up in your daily life, in your practice? What does a leader, what does a leader practice look like to you? So pooling is really diving into an individual and helping them pull out their own internal knowledge. So that's a push and pull. So when I work with people, I may push some information and I may, I mostly pull information out of them. So to that point, you obviously see the, the added value to the pulling approach. Why so? What are the benefits to that? Yeah. So <clears throat> even the other day, somebody asked me for advice. Somebody had asked them for advice and they were asking me on the advice to give them. And I kind of laughed because they were sharing with me these text messages. And I asked them, um, who knows this problem better? Was the question I asked. Who knows this problem better? And they're like, uh, this person does. I was like, okay. So what makes you think that you need to give them the answer? They have the answer. And they're like, oh, so help them. So ask questions. And so even this morning, I was working with a leader. And um, as I was working with him, the assignment was to ask more questions. It's like, hey, when you go to work, look to like see how you can ask more questions, specifically what questions. And so asking questions is its own art form. And then what type of questions? And with leaders, I start with what questions, whether it's internal reflection or something external working with a team, or I'll just have them notice how many questions do you ask throughout the day? And through asking questions, you're now co-creating with your team and you're using collective knowledge. So you're using a collective mind Vice just all the weight sitting on your shoulders, thinking that you have to have all the answers. And then when you ask yourself questions through self-reflection, you're going deeper within yourself and your own knowledge and excavating it to, to problem solve. Because who knows yourself better than you, Chris? So if I was working with you and you're like, hey, Dan, I'm having some issues on the podcast, you know, like an easy answer for me or an easy question is like, Chris, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I would tell myself because of this podcast and the nonprofit and this work and this, I would say this, I'm like, oh, well, what do you think of that advice? So I would just help you. And that's the whole idea of pulling is you already have the information inside of you. What you need is somebody just to help pull it out. So maybe an extension of that, you know, what lessons should our listeners take whether their job is to lead or follow from that pull leadership approach. What lessons should leaders, leaders take? Should our listeners take? Should their our job listeners is to, take? To lead or follow. Okay. I would say they can take whatever lessons that connect with them. So, so not to avoid the question. So kind of on this, like I would ask a question, right? So if we finish this podcast, I'd, you'd be like, Dan, that was great. I was like, awesome. What was great about it? Oh, it was great. Uh, these things. Oh, okay. What did you get from those things, Chris? Oh, I got this. Awesome. Those sound like good lessons for you to take away. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, those are great lessons for me to take away. And then I'd say, what are you going to do with those lessons? How would you implement those lessons? Oh, I think I could do this, this, and this. So my advice is to go through that what talk track that I just did in a framework, a self-reflection framework that I use. It's not mine. It's what, so what, now what? Basically, object, action, and then... Uh, question mark. So like, hey, what's the, you know, the object, the event, the people, the thing that happened? What can you take away from it? What's the action? What, you know, what can you do next? What's going on? And then uh, have a, a question. So the what, so what, now what? So that's, that's my advice. Perfect. Let's talk about your writing. You mentioned the books behind you. 
you've completed a very interesting journaling project. Mm. How is it different and what led you to do it that, the way you did? So I see, so as a coach, I see the power of coaching through asking questions, through excavating individuals. Right now, if you wanted a leadership coach, what does that look like? And right now it looks like this, where it's a one-on-one engagement. Right now in the COVID environment, it would be something on Zoom. And then I would, we would co-create and I would work with you on your journey and excavate and ask those questions. So what I wanted to do is, cre- is scale that out. Hey, how do I make this thing that, that I see the value of with all my leadership studies, my years of leadership experience? And it's like, man, leadership coaching is so valuable to leaders. One, I think the marketing of leadership coaching could be better because a lot of people don't understand it or there's different ideas on what leadership coaching is. Uh, there's a confusion of coaching and consulting. Consulting is heavy push. Hey, I'm the SME, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to shit on you a lot. And like, Chris, you should do this and you should do this. And why don't you do this? And you should. So that's the consulting aspect. Uh, coaching is the pulling aspect, right? Um, And so it's like, hey, how do I make leadership coaching more accessible to people and market it and make it accessible? So instead of writing a book, you know, Dan Luna's, you know, 10 things for you to be a successful leader. um, It's just like, hey, how do I create something for individuals to discover who they are as leaders? So that's essentially what I did. So I combined uh, elements of academics, a little bit of consulting, just really to get the individual uh, thinking about the particular topic, and then heavy, heavy coaching or pull in the book. And so in the journal, I wrote, it's, uh, I broke it up into 12, 12 sections of leadership for the leader to dive into uh, different areas of themselves. And uh, my favorite part of it is my name's not on it. My name's not on the cover and it's not on the back because it's not my book. So as, somebody, as soon as someone takes their pen to the journal, it becomes their leadership book. So every journal, as leaders fill it out, it is their own. So they're literally writing their leadership book. So if it's somebody senior like yourself and you can go through and excavate it and pass it down to your kids, or if it's a younger leader trying to discover their values or discover these things that are meaningful to them, they're able to do it. So really a lot of work that I do in the leadership uh, sector is now trying to like, hey, how do I make coaching more accessible and show uh, leaders the value of coaching? So just staying with the book for a quick second, Mm -hmm. other than your name not being on the cover, what else is unique about the cover? Oh, thank you for asking this. I was fascinated by this the other day. Yeah. So very intentional when I put, man, I put a lot of, a lot of time and effort, energy and brain power in this. So the, the covers are, di- there's different texture to it. So the back of the cover is hard. It's a hard back. Here, I'm actually going to. So the back, it's a hard back and the front is soft. So doing deep reflection work is hard, but be soft on yourself. So every time somebody grabs the journal, they can go through it and it's that like, hey, it's hard work, be soft on yourself. And that goes into, you know, and that's a deep, deeper metaphor for even for leaders to ask questions, to be playful, to be curious, to move from, from judgment to curiosity, move from statements to question. So it's really helping leaders shift perspective. And as you, you know, the old saying, as you change the thing you're, as you change the thing you're looking at, the thing you look, look at changes. And it's really how do you reframe or shift perspective? And then as you see it differently, you can take different approaches. And that includes yourself. You know, we often think of just something external, but as we shift perspective on ourself, we're now what? Becoming more self-aware. And self-awareness is its own practice. People are like, oh yeah, I'm self-aware. Oh, magically? 
you just magically became this or do you have to practice? Is it something you have to practice? Well, how'd you learn it? So do you have to learn it and then practice it? And then as you become more self-aware, then you know it. And through knowing, we're then able to uh, start to control and shift behaviors. And so that's why when I work with leaders, we do a lot, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of journaling and self-reflection because that's the common denominator, you know, whether it's leading at home, leading in their business, leading in a nonprofit. And just staying with journaling, journaling for one or two more minutes, you talked about self-reflection. Is there a right way or a wrong way to do journaling? And how do we get the most out of the process so we improve in the areas of lives we need to be better? So I don't necessarily want to say there's a, there's a right or a wrong way. There's a, there's a better way to journal. So um, in journaling, it's not a diary or a log. So it's not simply just, you know, dear journal, today I did this, this, and this. Often when I work with, and the other reason why I wrote the journal is because in academics, in my undergrad, master's, and even in my coaching program, they're like, hey, uh, we're going to journal on this. And the question of what always came up. How do we journal? And I was like, what? How do you journal? I've always been journaling. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is like... So I'm like, hey, I'm going to help people journal. And through journaling, it's self-reflective. And then through this leadership lens. So um, is there a, a decent way to journal is to ask yourself questions. And so, so to either ask yourself questions or travel in three different time domains. I can go to the past and journal about the past. That is a form of self-reflection. Academics call it a uh, reflection on action. I can journal in the present. Hey, wh what's on my mind right now? And just take my thoughts and just dump it on paper, dump my emotions on paper, dump anything that's going on and just let, and just give it to the paper and let the paper hold it instead of me holding it. So that's reflection in action. And then there's reflection on the future or envisioning or using your mind's eye or looking ahead or, you know, strategize, whatever you want to frame it. It's basically looking into the future. So in our mind, we can travel in those three time domains and explore those things. I can explore things in the past. Chris, tell me about your childhood. That doesn't mean I'm looking for trauma. You'd be like, oh, my childhood was like, oh, man, it was so cool. Like I grew up in Southern California and my mom and I had great times. So we can explore positive things or be above the line, what I call, or below the line, negative events. So we all have origin stories. So just like cultures and organizations. So there's a lot of different framework that you can go into to dive into it. Or there's other books out there if there's something specific that you want to really dive into where people can help navigate towards a specific uh, goal that you're trying to, to journal about. Um, but really journaling is, is all three time domains. Um, and it's just pouring your, your thoughts and your emotions on paper is, is my, my two cents. And if you get stuck, ask yourself questions. I never thought it was the three different uh, time domains. So that's an uh, interesting perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. So a lot of military veterans find one of the biggest challenges they face comes as they transition from military to civilian life. You're someone who had to navigate life and death situations and combat situations in foreign countries. How did you feel at the start of that process? How did I feel at the start? I felt, uh, I, I felt confident. And then I got slapped in the face. <laughs> uh, somebody told me, they're like, hey, Dan, whatever you think of transition, multiply it by 10, and that is transition. And I kind of like smugly like, oh, thanks. Like, maybe for you, but not for me. Like, not for me. Holy, that statement couldn't be more truer. And uh and my own pride uh, got me punched in the mouth. It was, uh, it was hard. 
And I was even at a place. So I left Dev Group and I went to the Naval Academy. Just the transition from being at a at an operational at a very high operational level. Even in the military, I transitioned to the Naval Academy, which um, is the mix of military and civilian really more civilian than military, like we were uniform, but it's, it's an academic institution. I felt like I was an alien on another planet. So even still being in the military, just that transition, um, I felt like I was an alien. And so I struggled with a lot of things there. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, really hard. We're going to talk more about that in the second half of the show. We've been talking to former Navy SEAL and founder of 3LX Consulting, Dan Luna. And we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, we are back with Dan Luna. We're having a fascinating conversation about Dan's service to our country as a Navy SEAL, push-pull leadership, and other topics. Before the break, we were talking about working through the difficult process of transition. Dan, what do you teach other people based on the lessons you learned during your transition to civilian life? I would say I like to, typically I'm not the first person that they've talked to about transition. And so what I like to share with them is just framework. So 
with everyone giving them advice. It's almost the same thing. Hey, I have all these books behind me. How do I navigate it? And so I, I just ask them, I do the same thing. I, I co-create with them. So I, I run a mini coaching session with them just to help pull, you know, hey, what does next look like? What's ideal in transition? What are you thinking about doing next? What are some things? What are, you know, what are things that you've noticed? What are common themes? So I really just run, and in my life, I've implemented, I am a coach and that's how, you know, I keep the lights on in my house. And I've seen the power of it working with clients. So I implement so much of that style um, really just throughout my day in my, in my conversations. One thing that I will share with them is that I move from asking different questions. With better questions, you get better answers. So to move from a question of typically we say, what am I going to do? To who do I want to be? And so then asking that question of who do I want to be moving forward in the world? How do I want to present myself to the world? What are, what are my values? And even uh, I think we were talking earlier, that purpose statement, sort of like, mm, what's my purpose? Um, I like to think of like, well, what's the burden that's been placed on you? What are those convictions that you have to, to, to feel that you think or feel compelled to, to do something? What is that conviction? What's that burden? And then through asking these questions of being, it then leads you to doing. And now it's like, hey, what is alignment? What is matching the doing and the being look like? Oh, that's this. And then if there's gaps in the knowing, you may have to go get that MBA instead of just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm going to go get an MBA or I'm going to go get my bachelor's degree. I'm going to go do this. And it's like, for what? I don't know because everyone else is doing it. Okay. And that might be the best answer for you or it may not. So it's just really asking questions and co-creating with the individual. What I do share is the start with the being and work internal from yourself, your own thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and then external from there. And then how that's going to show up in the world. So part of the transition process is recognizing and accepting when it's time to do something else. That certainly had to be difficult for someone who was a successful leader of an elite military team for years. We're always told from an early age that quitters never win and winners never quit. How'd you know when it was time to quit the SEALs? Uh, I would say I quit the SEAL teams. A little bit uh, of a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew it was the right move for me when I found, when I was self-aware enough of my downward spiral. And I was able to separate myself from the situation and see a family life that wasn't that great. When I saw the stress of work, I'd been, uh, I'd been hurt a deployment before. And so I had medical stuff going on from that deployment. And I just, I was noticing my own attitude and things that I didn't like to see in other people. I started to see in myself. And so through that self-awareness, I realized the best move that I could do for my team was to actually remove myself from the team. And uh, how I described it was I was starting to become the poison in the well. And so it was, it, that's, that is a huge pill to swallow. And that was a, a very, very, very big decision for me. And I sat down with my troop chief at the time, who's still a close friend of mine. And as we were talking, he was trying to keep me. He's like, Dan, you're great. And here's all the stuff. And I was like, man, I get it. And once I framed it that way, he, he understood what I was seeing from my, from my lens. And then at that point, he was fully supportive. He's like, hey, I get it. And, uh, and he was great. And we're still friends. And that's when I chose uh, the Naval Academy. It was a great, I just, I wanted to chill and relax, work on my family life, work on me. Uh, getting my finishing up my bachelor's was really important to me prior to exiting the military. 
And uh, I was able to do that at the Naval Academy. So you've noted that so much of our emphasis on post-traumatic stress has been on treatment after the trauma occurs. Mm-hmm. You believe it's time we put more attention on prevention. I think there's a mindset that we've, we can't prevent trauma. How did you come to your conclusions about trauma prevention? So just to give a little bit of context for that question. So as I left Dev Group and I was, I was in my struggle and I was starting to, to transition. So kind of the stories that I've already shared. Um, what I noticed was while I was at the Naval Academy and I was working through these transition issues and I'm working with the next generation of young men and women, I saw this cycle and it was like, man, they're going to deploy, they're going to leave. They're going to go to their ships, their subs, their helicopters, their Marine Corps units, um, their artillery battalions, their EOD SEAL teams. And then they're going to go through their deployment cycles and they're all highly motivated, driven individuals. So they're going to drive. And then the, the machine is that of to drive and move forward. And it just, and it eats. And so as it eats people, um, they're then spit out on the, on the other side. And then you look at a lot of the veteran issues that we have, or a lot of internal military issues that we have with, uh, with people who are still operational and some of the struggles that they have and the big support base to support them. So as I was sitting there really with like going, I literally went full circle, right? I, I'm not, I didn't go to the Naval Academy, but really as I was seeing young people in the beginning of their career and I was at the end of my career, I started asking myself questions. Hey, is this, is there a better way to answer this question? Can we do more? And really that's the work that I started. So the work that I started five or six years ago on what I call pre-trauma and now, you know, pre-traumatic coaching is what I work with on my clients. So I've even implemented a lot of this stuff in, I'm in a doctorate program at USC. What I'm looking to do is my dissertation is formalize a PTSD prevention program, build out a pilot program through academic research. Um, however, it's so needed that I, that even though as I'm studying it, I'm kind of building the plane. So with the theories that I have in place, I'm working with individuals to really help them already because there's such a need for this. And the earlier you start, the better. And it's not because as soon as you get somebody with some experience, they already have it set in their mind that they know the way. And so it's a lot harder to work with those individuals. And then something happens and then they're like, oh, wow, I have to navigate through this. So the best place to work with individuals or is in the academies. So whether it's a police academy, fire academy, military academy, or a boot camp. So early on, and it's through really behavioral shifts, behavioral training, and teaching individuals how to, um, and there's two forms, how to teach an individual to be tougher or hardy or gritty, and then how to teach an individual, if you're going to teach that, how do you recover? And so, uh, or resilience. So there's two different resilience can be used either to push through something or to bounce, bounce back or to move away from something. I use resilience when I'm working with clients as like moving back to aliveness, not being gritty, persevering, enduring. Like there's plenty of words that describe the push. Fewer words to describe pulling back or moving back to something. And so with high stress, with high op tempo, we're all like tough, tough, like discipline and like grit and hard. And like, hey, that does need to be taught. And like, how do you recover? So if I'm going to be, so now back in physical context, hey, if we're going to work out for two hours, what does recovery look like? What is a good nutrition plan? What does a good sleep schedule look like? And recovery, if you're not recovering, you're not going to grow muscle or perform as effectively. So in human performance, recovery is a huge aspect. Well, the same is true both for the mind and for the emotion, right? For the mind and the heart. So how do we process this? And anytime you look at, you know, mental or emotional trauma, it's not how I think, it's like how I feel. Like 
when you're working with somebody thinking their way out of something is a way. And now when you look at modalities for therapists, it's extended out of talk therapy because there's more. It takes more to help somebody recover. So that's being reactive. If we taught certain things up front, if we did this upfront work and we're proactive for individuals and help them shift behaviors beforehand and even framework and how to think about something moving forward specific to organizational trauma, there's ways in which, and right now it's all theory. So I'm a theorist, if you will. And I deeply believe in this theory that there is ways to, are you going to get rid of trauma? Absolutely not. Mental, emotional? No. What it may help is going through it to where they don't experience it as severely. And so now the recovery component can happen quicker. And so now they're having a whole or fuller life in the process. Yeah. When you and I first met and spoke a few months ago, we both had very similar views on this trauma prevention uh, technology, things like that. Knowing that we're going to be able to call you Dr. Dan in a couple of years, just want to put that out there for you. God willing. Think about it. Exactly. How do we go about making prevention a priority and who should receive that training and when should they receive it? So, and this is where a lot of my, so when I speak about prevention, I read a lot of psychology literature. So it's heavy in psychology. The reason why I'm doing a doctorate of education is because psychologists are not curriculum developers, like they're not educators. So there's people way smarter than me on this topic. So now to, to join up with people who are very, you know, smarter than me on PTSD, and I have some, some champions in my corner, both uh, in different realms of academia, to now take that information. So now for me to sit back, to have the experience that I've had, to see other individuals go through this, and then to um, take that and help build a framework of curriculum so the, the formula will be the same. The specificity within the formula will be different for each individual. So just like leadership is unique to an individual, trauma is unique to an individual. So the leader component is when you step into an organization, each organization has its own culture and its own um, hardship that it experiences. Civilian, military, whatever it is, Before you can talk about trauma, you have to talk about stress and how individuals process stress. And I don't want to get too into the weeds on this. So to answer your question on priority, it is both on the individual and on the organization. Both have ownership in it. It is not solely on the organization and it's not solely on the, on the individual. There is known things within organizations where the likelihood of that is going to increase. What is the, if you're going to be a firefighter or a paramedic, what do you think the likelihood of you seeing a dead body is? Probably more likely than just being uh, a leadership coach. Like my likelihood now of seeing certain things has gone down. Well, for the likelihood of individuals who don't see certain things or don't experience people dying in front of them, and I'm using these extreme um, examples, you're now, hey, you went from mommy and daddy and like schoolhouse to now you're seeing the realities that the, your worldview and world perspective is very different. And it's shocking and it happens very quickly. And often we, the space in the moment isn't held to then talk about it. Like what are the cultural norms? How are these things? What are the, what emotions are allowed? What is the mindset of the organization? So now that's the leadership component that I also bring. And it goes into culture, organizational structure. So now to help organizations navigate this along with the individuals. Does that make sense? Yep. Total sense. Okay. Thank you. You know, when you and I first connected a few months ago, we gave each other sort of a three minute download dump of each other's life history. And I think the first thing that connected the two of us was that we're both only children raised by single moms. 
know, I think you have a very refreshing and a very healthy mindset about your hardship. You say that so much of the advice we receive is about enduring hardship, but you advocate moving away from hardship. Why is that so healthy? And when we're in the midst of hardship and seem to get bogged down in it, how do we overcome and endure it in the mindset? So I look at things, my favorite thing to say is yes and. People are like, oh, this generation and the millennials and the Gen Ys and this and that and blah, blah, blah. They need to be tougher. And I say yes and they need to learn how to take care of themselves. Leadership is this and this and this and like being hard and enduring and doing all this. And I say yes and how do you deal with your, you know, at the law, at the end of the day, how do you handle stress? How do you, how do you release the tension from the day? What does that look like? Do you have a practice or do you just carry that weight with you home? Is there things that you can do? If you wear a uniform, changing your uniform at work, if you wear some, you know, and that uniform could be a suit. Hey, if you're working long days on the, at the stock market, or if you're in a private equity, or if you're, so the, so what I'm, what I'm speaking to is not just military first responder. It's ubiquitous, especially in U.S. culture, when you look at mental and emotional well-being and the issues that we currently have, and then you start stacking a pandemic, you start stacking political issues, you start stacking uh, social media and the news and TV and like all this stuff. And you're like, ah, it's so much. And then like homeschooling, like now you're a teacher and you have to do your day job and you have to do all these things and your kids are going crazy because there's no sports. Like, trust me, I get it. So how, what is taking care of you? Cause if you're a mess, like what happens on the inside shows up on the outside. And so just taking care of yourself, whether that's meditation, whether that's going outside, whether that's being around people, whether that's not being around people, little naps, people look at vacation like a once a year thing. Well, what's a little win throughout the day to help you regulate, to help you get through the day better, stronger, fuller, more energized. And as you do those things, as you learn to take care of yourself, you can now increase your capacity to now do the harder things. So it's this yin and yang and push and pull, right? So if we're going to say this, we're not saying this, we can also be saying this, right? So yeah, I get up early and I drive and I push and I also take care of myself. And that just looks different for everyone. And so for individuals to dive into themselves, you know, people want to know like, Dan, talk to me about stress inoculation and like hardship. Before we even have that conversation, we have the other conversation, you know, how are your, how do you emotionally cope with things? Oh, I, uh, I drank. Okay. Well, let's start there. Or I get really angry or, you know, and there's, they call it maladaptive coping techniques. So we'll start kind of in the present. So before we even go into the future and talk about high speed stuff, black belt techniques, we're going to start at the white belt level. And that's just noticing being self-reflective. And that's why I like all my clients journal. And when I work with youth, it's, it's going through current behavioral practices and noticing. And then we'll even go into the past. Hey, where did those things come from? Maybe they served you at one point. Maybe it was a survival mechanism to get you through. And now it no longer serves you. So I do different tests and different exercises. And then as we process those things, as we become self-reflective and have a practice, then we can start talking about the future and future behaviors and then building on top of that. So I'll work through that foundation. And that's really my framework, my model, whether it's, you know, we're talking about trauma reduction, prevention, or stress. All my leaders, we start with that same framework. It's working through uh, self-awareness, and then building out from there. We've got about three minutes left, Dan, and let's shift gears here. As we discussed at the top of the podcast, you've been avid reader since those Hardy Boys days. What are you reading these days, and what do you get from reading besides your textbooks? So I read a lot. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay on theme here. So hey, Dan, what exercises do you do? 
uh, I do, I do squats and I do squats and I run and I do these exercises because I'm trying to accomplish this. So when it comes to reading, what I ask people, what are you trying to accomplish? And what tools, and a book is a tool, reading is a tool, what reading are you doing that is helping you move in the direction that you want to go? So my advice is, what direction do you want to go? And what reading or what podcasts, what videos, what YouTube videos, what conversations, what people help support you moving forward in your mission? What is your mission? What direction are you going? Where do you want to go? And once again, I go back to your being. How do you want to show up in the world? So that's my advice. That's my book advice. So more importantly, how does someone get in touch with you if they want to learn about what you do or speak at their event? So I don't do a lot of speaking um, unless it's very, uh, unless it's very, I don't know. I have to have a conversation on, around that just because of school and time. So to get a hold of me, my email is dan at team3lx.com. My website is team3lx.com. If you're interested in the journal, it's on my website, team3lx.com. My Instagram, and of course, I post questions on my Instagram account. It's dan.p.luna. And then I also have a team3lx Instagram account. So I'm on Instagram. I think it's all connected to Facebook. Like I'm working through all the tech side of things. You and me both. Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks but, so uh, but email's the best. Okay. And we'll be sure and to Instagram through our channels as well. Okay, great. Thanks, so, Chris. Dan Luna, it was an absolute honor and privilege. Thanks so much for being with us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, and thank you to our audience for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with another leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.